Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. This season we are devoted to 1991 and we are doing the last of the eligible movies tonight. Holy and it shit. is Thelma and Louise. Oof. Know this before I introduce them. These two people are my best friends competing to be a number one best friend in a contest for points. I award points for funny jokes, good points, or just saying something that is in agreement with me. Um, let's introduce them now. No more waiting needed. Last week's champ, it's Mike. Greg, you made some good points. Excellent intro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One thumb way up. Wow, one thumb. Ryan, one thumb. My thumb was hurt. Shit. No, I have two thumbs. Okay. Two thumbs up. Greg. Oh, two thumbs up go. for your intro. Ryan. I just want I like a little extra enthusiasm. Yeah. I think. Mike I, is talking I heard about my the thumb la- phoning this week. <laughs> Mike is talking about the laziness of Siskel and Ebert. Movies could have gotten Ryan. four thumbs up. <laughs> and they only got two. Um, I, I had the board. No, I had the secretary pool that we have here at Pop Hill to run the numbers. Um, I, Mike is unbeatable this season. Yeah. Uh, the only way that I have beat Mike is if trivia is involved. Yeah. And then I sweep up a lot of points. But other than that, uh, I have been absolutely decimated this entire is this season. Is true? Uh, so I changed it up this tonight. I did not watch the movie. Nice. Like, Why? fuck it. Why? Bold choice. Let's just. Why do my feelings feel the opposite of what you just said? <laughs> Let's just see if I can beat Mike with no previous information. Now, this would be a movie. Thelma and Louise is is almost not a movie you can watch without previous information, right? Like, w- I had not. S- I knew. Go, Mike. I, I knew one thing, and unfortunately, it was the still of the, the very, very last, last shot of the shot. movie. That is, I mean, did, all didn't I knew you at a minimum movie. know two things, like the names of the main characters, Mike? There's a Thelma. There's a Louise. Who knows? Who knows if that was them? Were you by the end of the movie? Why? Were you like pretty sure that's Thelma? That's Louise? Yes, dude. I still couldn't I, tell. You. I stopped it at one point, and I went Thelma, Louise, <laughs> and I, and then the very when I started it again, Louise was going Thelma, come here, and I was like, Yeah, yeah. I nailed it. <laughs> Greg nailed it. Louise nailed it. Everybody got it. We all know who both these are. So uh, I had never seen this as a kid. Mike, have you seen it as a kid? I have not seen it till this very week. Ryan, how about you? I had seen it before, yeah. Okay, because we, like, we had a lot of history with Adam's family. We had a lot of history <laughs> with Terminator 2. Um, it wasn't like we went into... I had a lot of history with, with Science of the Lambs. But it's not like we went into this movie with no knowledge, because it was very much in the zeitgeist at the time. But, like, this is the movie I've seen the least except for last week's a brighter right. summer day. Which only 12 people in America have seen. So that makes sense. And we're, we're three of them. We're three of them. Congratulations, guys. So it doesn't have that, like, how did you used to think about it? How do you right. think about it now? But overall, what are our impressions of this movie, Mike? I can o- Sorry, I can only uh, imagine Mike as a young boy not watching it because he's just like, why didn't they drive the car from the end of Greece instead of the car from Thumb and oh, Louise? Oh, wow. Because that, <laughs> that knows how to that fly. That would have saved their life. You want to talk about a good but, one. It, it, they, I should have watched it because two of the movies I watched as a young child were Grease, Ad Nauseum, and Rocky Horror Picture Show, Far Too Young, which means Flying Cars and Susan Sarandon, one of my first celebrity crushes. This was up Little Mike's ass. Wait, that, that woman in that movie that you saw as a kid who was just running around in her underwear for 45 minutes of the movie? You had a crush on her? You somehow developed a crush I, on her? I, I somehow developed a crush on her and every other actor in that movie. <laughs> but uh, man, Susan Sarandon, I, I've had the hots for my entire life. Okay, so besides uh, uh, your sexual attraction to her did you <laughs> sure. like the the movie that clearly Mike appeared? picked up on the point of the movie yeah it's your name Earl. no and i also very attracted to gina <laughs> davis since i'm gonna get around 
uh, this uh, this is my director. This is on my team. This is Ridley Scott. And and if you if fuck he hadn't already been on your team, this would have been the week where you selected him, right? Yes, yeah, because that is I'm a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Mike. Uh, th- I didn't know he had this in him. This movie was so human and heartfelt and amazing. I, I, it rocked my soul. Have you up. seen um, The Last Duel? No, I want okay. to very much. Because I, like, I wouldn't have necessarily known he had it into except for The Last Duel, kind of like, I don't know, it makes you think, or I thought about that movie in conjunction with this one. Ryan, mm-hmm. you're the only one who has a history with the movie. Between that and this viewing of it, what is your feelings in general? I mean, think about how much the world, the country has changed since my last viewing of it as a kid. Um, you know, I think that if you, this is a really good example for a lot of things, but one, it's important to put your, whatever you think that is corny about older movies aside mm-hmm. and just dive in. And this movie's not flawless. No. We'll talk, we'll get no. to that later, but like this movie is. Of its of, of of one piece of its own tone, it's a little ninety one y, but it's still fucking perfect. This movie is. I I thought that you know I didn't know who was gonna win ninety one, but I thought we whatever it was we had already watched it. Yeah, and right. This movie, I like. I cannot believe how fucking tight this movie is as a script. I cannot believe these two leads. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to sound like an old man, but everybody complains like we don't get movies like this anymore, and they. They don't make them like this is the like no. this movie made forty five million or so in th- in theaters and it for ninety one that's like that's kind of okay uh uh-huh. um <laughs> like it, this is this is a perfect example of all of the things coming together to not make uh a right. brighter summer day right yeah. not make some of the it, like right. some of the indie shit or some of the foreign shit that we might watch in the season but as far as like having a Hollywood studio in front of it this is the best we could hope for and the best I would ever want. Like this movie's fucking yes. a classic. Yeah. The, the leads, the leads are amazing. Uh, you can't say one bad word about either of them. in These roles, the stacked cast, every time a new character showed up, I was like, really? yeah. that's another thing I miss about ho- old Hollywood movies. Just like, okay, we have to get 17 character actors and not like yes. no names. Like I want everybody to be like that guy, that guy, that guy, the entire time they're watching it. And for some of them, it was, okay, that's why that guy was in things that I saw afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's mm-hmm. why Shooter McGavin was probably in, in Happy Gilmore. Young, svelte, 70s-looking Shooter McGavin. Did, I was thinking while watching this, did Shooter McGavin walk so Danny McBride could fly? Dude, he yes. is so Danny McBride. <laughs> he does the <laughs> head There's a scene where he goes, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? There are some <laughs> incredible Danny McBride moments in this well we are getting dangerously close to talking about this absolute gem of a movie <laughs> i want to say it is not 100 percent perfect throughout but it's so good that there are several scenes that i think do not work at all and i i watched the movie again challenging myself to figure out why i'm not getting them yeah you know mm-hmm. like there is a part that and we're going to talk about it that really stands out but i just think it's that i'm not getting it myself i, I think that it might work but maybe i'm the problem it's always nice to think about am i dumb <laughs> when we come back every day am i dumb <laughs> ridley scott's thelma and louise has a tough act to follow in last week's a brighter summer day and stylistically the two movies couldn't be more different but in many ways thelma and louise tackles much of the same subject matter male dominance of women male violence against women and an air of systemic disinterest if not outright antagonism to the plight of women in general all while wrapping up in just over two hours. <clears throat> but I digress. 
In this film, we see the title character set out on a road trip that immediately turns into a nightmare thanks to, you guessed it, dudes. Dudes, bros, dicks, derps, scrubs, and fuckboys fly at these two women like bugs through the night air. But, unlike those bugs which harmlessly splatter upon their windshield, these dudes ruin everything and then come back to make sure they finished ruining everything and then force our main characters, played perfectly by Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis, off a literal freaking cliff. Gentlemen and gentlemen only, I masculinely ask you this. Many critics have called Thelma and Louise feminist, while others have called it reverse feminism or even anti-feminism. As men, let's decide this here once and for all. Okay, I actually looked this up because it was like, it was a buzz. It, it was all a buzz about how did Thelma and Louise set feminism back. And so I had to like, before we get into me and Mike's opinions and Greg. Sure. Shoot in there whenever you want. <laughs> Uh, about whether this movie is a feminist movie or anti-feminist, I wanted to see what where this was coming from. And guys, the answers, particularly number seven, are going to surprise you. <laughs> uh, this movie did not fix feminism. Right. There, okay. What? That's or, a bummer. That's or, kind of a bummer. Boo. It did not fix misogyny, rather. That okay. there was still misogyny after this movie came out. Um, oh. I, I don't... Because the movie failed. Probably President Clinton. Um <laughs> The fact that there were more, Mike. there were males in the movie proves that it's anti-feminist. Um, there's like, hmm. I just, I want everyone, mostly dudes, to be super careful when you step up and talk shit on something like this. Yeah. And the thing that I don't understand is still to this day, I don't get how these people who come clap back at a movie like this, how they don't understand how much they are telling on themselves. How yeah. they don't understand how they are not showing well, their entire zero fucking ass. Their whole ass just flapping just out their the whole sun. ass. It sounds like then that the, the group that calls this movie anti-feminist are themselves not... Is it dudes? Feminist? Yeah, is it just like do bros? There was a couple the of... The guys who ruined every single part of the experience <laughs> of Thelma and Louise? There's a couple of women uh, who... You know, writers who like... And really it reads like uh, clout searching. You know, even in the world mm. of like academic journals, mm. I still want the clout uh, and the way to... You gotta get, find clout somewhere. Yeah, you gotta get clout where you can get it. And the way to get clout for me in an academic journal is just to say something stupid. Or something that cuts against the grain, yeah. right? Isn't that the way we right. kind of train ourselves in the academy? I do like, not to get all like right wing on it, but doesn't the academy kind of train its students to find problems with classics? Uh, yeah, but I way. think he, here's what I don't like about our generation, <laughs> the ones younger, and it's not it's not thoughtful folks, right? It's just the the general hand I'm retaining exists. I'm strawmanning a generation. Nice, we love uh, it here. <laughs> also <laughs> from the academics, is <laughs> something can have flaws and still be fucking amazing. Yes. Case in point, our two leads, not the actresses, the characters, and maybe this is why people say they're anti-feminist. These are flawed, shitty, real dimensional characters they kind of suck they're kind of garbage to each other and that's awesome and they're allowed to be heroes and they're allowed to forgive each other and allowed to not forgive each other allowed to get over stuff they are the best of friends and they also hurt each other even though in a, in a world where other people are hurting them all the time non-stop they also can't wait for the other one is at their lowest and is like and here's the thing i know will fucking hurt you right now <laughs> uh, <laughs> like fred's and do. it's it's amazing to watch and uh, importantly too are criminals like, I feel that yeah. if this movie was made today, they would skirt around that little fact yeah. and just make it all, like, Circumstance or a Three's Company episode. These people are criminals, and right. they know it, and we know it, and the cops know it, and right. th we right. that's 
that's one of the more daring parts I about like this movie outlaws. is outlaws. Outlaws is good. Uh, outlaws, because that, that, that makes that that's the fun American dream. Yeah. <laughs> we're uh, we're still gonna tell the story anyway about these two women, even though they mm-hmm. are outlaws. But so it's so Young Guns, and not a good movie, not nearly in this. But like, we love outlaws here. That that is a that is a huge part of we the love American male mythos. Outlaws. Right, but I love I love the Calamity Janes, and these right. are modern that, and I I think to watch them, it's it's it is the bat that what Joker's always trying to do. Batman is it just takes one bad day, and we get to watch that happen to Thelma and Louise. They right. both have a bad day and a string of bad days, and they can't take any more till they say, "Well, fuck all your laws," and then they can't take any more. They're like, "We would rather die happy together than have to deal with one more shitty dude." Yeah, I mean. <laughs> And then they start. They go from like avoiding them to calling them out um, yes. throughout the course of this movie. And like the whole feminism. Do you guys remember, or have you guys ever heard what the original Bechdel test movie was in the comic that came up with the Bechdel test? No, it was Alien. Do you know who Alien oh. is directed by? Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. It's Ridley Scott and. <laughs> I think that she talks to the alien she, about not, not males. About dudes. Yeah, uh, they just talk about back. You where'd you get bitch. your hair done? <laughs> um, but I think that's such an important thing too is that uh, mm. we have males in this movie, you know, and I don't think that that ruins the feminism. You've I think that males. storytelling. I think that uh, yeah. one crazy thing to think about is I think besides the waitress that sort of talks to Harvey Keitel at the first bar mm. where they meet Harlan, who's also amazing. I love her. Do we have any other women? There's people who get like a line, but like uh, they're in a they're I think very purposefully they're in a world of men yes. that is trying to control them, and they don't go to women for help. They don't, you know, like it's just these are all of the men. I think the bugs on the windshield thing these is are, like a perfect yeah, analogy. Yeah, uh, these are cool. not people who go to other people for help, and that's a way in which they are like American outlaw types, which we're gonna talk about in the back half of the show. Um, but isn't the movie the purpose? I guess is kind of focusing a little bit on men, but the point is, isn't kind of the point all the different ways men w- of a yeah. whole bunch of different types, how they all Daryl is shittier than Jimmy is shittier than JD should be is a, shittier than Steven Tobolowsky. They're all shitty in their own unique way. There should be a poster. That's like the evolution line of uh, just all yes. the male characters th- that you meet throughout. And, and it, it's, it was so clear that I got also like just every director does got too in love with Brad Pitt. Cause this movie has T, te- taught me to not trust men they're all gonna suck yep. and when he fucked them over i was like what yeah not yeah. a sweet baby boy jd and i mean honestly i think the most like noble man is harvey Keitel's character yes and he's actively trying to pursue them is like what brings the force of people to chase them off the cliff and then at the end the last thing he does is he realizes oh shit and see this is us this is the part why like if we're in this movie uh we're him right the mm. like these three dudes we are with the boys we show up with the boys and all we want is to not be associated with them but to run from them and to run after the women as they go and pursue, pursue like full freedom and why right. that's why i think ultimately i i find him an offensive character because it's like you messed <laughs> this nice whole guy. thing up yeah the worst of all he's, of he's so concerned about them he's like i just want we need to get to them so it's more so bad things don't happen i want to protect though. them yeah. yes and th- that that is even though he's the sweetest of all the guys he still also breaks and enters every chance he gets but there's he, also like, an amazing harvey Keitel moment too uh i've never seen this part of the movie before but uh he is supposed to be the guy we aspire to be you know if yeah. you're not a piece of shit mm. but 
even though he's like our strong male center of this movie, they're going over to uh, Shooter McGavin's house and it's pouring rain and they're fucking they're touching butt they're playing grab ass trying to get to the door well, first and like pinching each other and like they're, <laughs> they're such boys you are children yeah. you're on a job trying to protect either or both these ladies from dying or their victims from dying and you can't not just be like it's raining now it's water did you notice that like the chief of arkansas police he's got like a bunch of little toys on his desk <laughs> i mean it, it's like the, you know part of the the this movie is like you you never grow up like these men right. never grow up they never become responsible and they never actually turn into this thing men like they never mm. become and, that and there's no need to there's like they have yeah because they, they they and not us have worked the system in such a way we're like well if you tell me to i'm gonna yell at you or like jimmy right. is the closest to harvey Keitel, right of like yeah, being a good guy he, he, arcs, he still right? he learned something but he still has and he still has his we, table throwing scene and right, he's played by a Michael piece Madden. of shit. Yeah. yeah, so he won't show up and be like, he's a bad guy. Yeah. But then, like, it's so funny because we hear he's a piece of shit. But then there's also, you know, there's things with Louise, and you're like, I don't know, maybe he's a good guy. And then that table throwing scene, I was like, I have a note. It's like, oh, so Jimmy sucks too? Great. Just great. The one guy I thought I could like. <laughs> is is Michael Madsen if Paul Rudd did age? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but in the world of this movie, or maybe in the world in general, is there any way this story ends where these women are not driving no, off a cliff? There's not. No, I think there's no happy ending, man. Be- like, because what? They're going to live in Mexico and be fun? No, there's dudes down in Mexico as well. Yeah, there's just as many as here. And, like, I think that Callie Corey, the screenwriter, in a cool way, like, I'm not saying she fucked up, but she sort of wrote herself into a corner where if they get out of this, it's because of men. Like, all of mm. the system is ran by men, and they can only right. be saved by the system at this point. So that's more men. And for Gina Davis to look at Susan Sarandon and say, just keep going, let's just go forever, that's that's the perfect... If you have a complaint about this ending, and, but, but, you know but like, you accept Butch Cassidy and the Sundance well, Kids ending, like, okay, fuck okay. you. And, again, we might talk about this in another segment, but <laughs> it's your boy Ebert who has the major problem with this ending, right? He's the one that says, like, it is a dereliction of duty to have that 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 car go off the cliff and then go to white so quickly. He said, and I not show, like, a fiery body what, in the car? He wants to see burning flesh? I think What's he his felt, sick pervert problem? I think he felt like it was... I think he felt like it was super abrupt. But you know what? Actually, we are going to be talking about how this movie is directed, and that's the exact thing I want to talk about in our next segment. But before that... We're going to go meet the Rushmore Babies. Mount Rushmore. They all met when America was still very young. They love to hang out and have fun. They're the Rushmore Babies. That's right. Rushmore Babies, of course, the segment that we do every week. We talk about the important babies of 1991. Rushmore Babies has come to front of lives <laughs> <laughs> of babies. <laughs> the babies they don't are so shit. upset. <laughs> is baby crying like people vomiting? Like once one does it, now the whole crowd is just going to oh, start. Yeah. Well, oh, if yeah. you cry, then I'm going to cry. <laughs> I think <laughs> when a baby ever sees another baby getting a lot of attention, yeah. baby number one is like, I want attention. <laughs> My name is yeah. baby number one. Yeah, dude, I'm number one baby. Uh, look at the call sheet. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to be in my baby trailer. It's adorable. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing a little baby tantrum. Also adorable. 
So who were the babies of 1991? And let's start with now. Ryan. There, yeah. So Mike pointed out they're 30 now. It's still like babies to be. But they're still gonna be wearing their little diapers. Okay. And they're gonna have their little bows. So this is heads and diapers on this mountain. Yes. 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 Diapers on heads. The first one, I'm going to put all three of our heads together. I'm gonna speak for all three of us. I love it. Please do. And I'm not gonna say Mike Gravano if that's what you think I'm going to say. Well, it's not born in 1991. I'm fat, so I burp and fart. That's me as a baby. <laughs> Very smart, but very fat, baby. <laughs> uh, no, uh, uh, like if we uh, all put our fists in and our rings light up, it's the Keith Stanfield. Oh, oh shit! That is a I, great one, and not what I thought. How excited are we that Atlanta comes back in like a week? Yeah, it's oh, it's shit. here, guys. The it's, warrior poet, the Keith Stanfield. It's here to absolutely ruin. The brackets at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. It's going to win TV comedy it. and TV drama. I haven't and even TV seen music. Donald Glover in like two years. I miss him so much. It's like a friend. I saw a tweet from him the other day that said, Atlanta's back in two weeks. It's like, <laughs> okay. I love it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. But no, uh, I mean, how many times have we talked about this person as just yeah. a uh, crazy talent where he can play his character on Atlanta mm-hmm. and then play his character in the, the Black Panther movie that has a long... not. The Ryan Coogler Black Panther movie. Oh, I was just like, I don't think he was in that, man. It was a <laughs> yeah. different guy from Get Out. He uh, was in Sorry to Bother You. And yeah, it, Sorry to Bother You. I mean, a little bit in Knives Out and just always bringing uh-huh. that, like, Keith Stanfield, although also has that, he has that same sort of, like, I have star charm, right? Mm, so I'm going to yes. bring my persona. But also, I can, at the same time, bury myself in a in a character. Yeah. yeah. It's he also very can steal rare. a scene. Like he always seems totally stoned and totally aware of what's going yeah. on. Yes, which is that's always a, that's a superhero. Interesting combination. <laughs> and I know you guys probably don't give one fuck, but he was uh he did voice acting for a really cool anime on Netflix that I watched, and it was so dope. It, uh, I think it was called Black Samurai. Anyway, uh, Lakeith Stanfield on our mountain, but our version is just a little baby version. Little baby. Does he still have his facial hair? He does. He has a little, <laughs> of ba- course. little, little baby beard. Mike, what do you got? I, this is what I thought Ryan was building up to. If you if you put the four thir- three of our rings together, nineteen ninety one baby, but of music, uh, he's a little baby goblin. He's a little baby Igor. He's a little baby Tyler the Creator. Oh, oh, wow! Recent winner of best album yeah. of twenty twenty one. Booty twenty twenty one winner. See, I mean, he I seems get- like one of our people. You guys give me crap for just putting the first ones on the mountain, <laughs> but these are good ones. I mean, how do I can't deny that Tyler the Creator? Don't worry, I have some shitty ones next. <laughs> Tyler, comma. Yeah, get that comma in there. Yeah, dude, and make sure there's a little baby comma up there. <laughs> and a little baby, a little diaper, a little comma diaper. Yeah, Tyler just so exciting. This uh, Call Me If You Get Lost, the only album from 2021 that I have listened to since we did our 2021 shows. Oh, so many of those you need a break. <laughs> it's afterwards. really hard. <laughs> Man, it's really hard. Even though we get on the mic and we talk about how much we love them, the, the day after that, if I try to listen to those albums, it's just gone. We, <laughs> we put all the albums on a table and throw it on the ground like we're goddamn Jimmy. <laughs> yeah, You're dead to us now. Get out of here, sleigh bells. Kick your ass. Okay, Ryan, we got two up there. Who you got for me? Who are the 91 babies? Sophia Cop... That's probably the wrong list. Oh, okay. So the next <laughs> one... Pro- if we were doing this, like... If we were doing 91 maybe a year ago, 
We would have no idea who this person is. And yet, I think she has the chance to become the most famous person ever born in 1991. And that is Ariana DuBose. She is about to win an Oscar as of this recording for playing uh, Rita Moreno's part in West Side Story. Oh, Absolutely yeah. stole the movie. Um, after this she wants Oscar, to be in America. After this Oscar win, I think that the sky is the limit. Whoever is scouting for, uh, with the exception of Ansel Elgort, of course, oh, yeah. a Harry Potter character, whoever is scouting uh, actors for Spielberg for West Side Story did an absolutely incredible job. And Ariana DeBose stole an incredible movie. Ariana. And she's not Maria, because I remember on one show you, were, you, Anita. you mentioned her. She's yeah, Anita. She's the, the no Anita, no. I put her on the maybe pile, but I think that's a good speculative one. I'm going to put a little asterisk next to it. Do, 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 do. Do you put an asterisk on both sides? Okay, yeah. Thank you. Do, 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 do. All right, Mike. Well, I feel like a little bit of an opening here, maybe? Mm. There's so I shouldn't go to my shitty part of my list? Go I to w- the shitty part. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, man. This is a, this, you get actual points here. Okay. Uh, I want to go back to the world of Atlanta then. Uh, <laughs> that's when I first met her, and she crushes it then there. She was great in Deadpool 2 as Domino, and she even was the most watchable part of the awful Joker movie. Zazie Beetz uh, needs to keep working and get bigger and bigger and bigger. She is phenomenal. You spend that entire Joker movie being like, okay, but seriously, what is she doing hanging out with this guy? <laughs> like, what's going on? And yeah, the only good part of the movie is when you find out that they don't have any association with each other. Yeah, you're like, she's okay, like, why are you in my it. house? Oh, this makes sense. I got it. I got it. Yeah, she is amazing. I like her so much. I am going to put her on the maybe pile. I liked yeah. her domino, um, and I love her in Atlanta. Although she, unfortunately, I hope this is going to change this next season. She always is like the no fun character on Atlanta. Yeah, but even, so no fun, but the the episode NFC. where they go to her home. I don't yeah. know if it's her hometown, but the, the weird like Swedish-German beer hall oh, shit. Yes. <laughs> and then she is not the no fun character. No. And, and, uh, <laughs> Do you guys know why She's we're so excited for Atlanta and Better Call Saul and all these shows is that – like we have no idea what to expect. They will throw right. the craziest so episodes at us, and we will have no idea. That's so true. All right, let's start getting uh, let's start getting some more of these picks in. Ryan, what do you think? I'm gonna go on the keep on the musical bandwagon. Bandwagon musical. Vincente Minnelli directed that, uh, but I'm gonna <laughs> go with Anthony Ramos, right. who I thought uh, was. Uh, I thought. He, let me say this: over heralded for Hamilton. Yes. I was I was surprised that he got uh, I don't know he's he, the he's like the kid he and was the his, friend. he was the son yeah he just didn't do that much yeah he didn't have that much he was fine and and also like man I don't want to hear you rap as a kid yeah like get that out of here honestly like I never liked any part of <laughs> although that. we are doing Rushmore babies and for a baby oh, he's oh. the Rushmore yeah. babies <laughs> and he can Rushmore baby Captain French. Uh, but in the Heights, um, I, again, a stellar so cast, charming. and yeah, I think that he also was an incredible lead for that. You know, uh, I don't think that he is traditionally handsome. No, he's a legit cutie. What are you but about? when you talk to girls about yeah. him, they're like, "Oh, you're a fucking idiot." Girls, nah, dude, girls nah. love the curly hair, guys. What can I say? What can I say? It's a good it's look. Like Greg cleans up. It's a fine look. Mike, what do you got? Okay, one of her least favorite parts of one of my favorite shows, but gosh darn it, was she not a pillar piece? Emily Rickards, who played Felicity Smoke for all eight seasons of Arrow. <laughs> I can, uh, I'll do that one. Oh, no, wait. I remember her. This was sort the of... tech girl. A uh, curvy uh, actress. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to just write Arrow Lady. 
because <laughs> I know you never liked her, but I didn't really watch that show. And I liked her in the first season. She's very pretty. Okay, Ryan, we're gonna let we maybe start going quick here because we're getting down yeah. to Arrow cast members. <laughs> no, <laughs> I have I have an actress who was on Arrow and the OC. No, playing she really? Caitlin Cooper. Shit. It's Willa Holland. Willa Holland. Willa Holland. She's not on that cover now. Okay. <laughs> I just Greg's about to pick up a DVD in, of the OC. <laughs> in uh, the first season of the OC, Caitlin Cooper was played by Mike, famously. Uh, Shailene Woodley, my next get. Who was born in 1991. <laughs> but I went with a different Caitlin Cooper. I went with Willa Holland because of the Caitlin Cooper. Because of the Arrow connection, because I understand the host and how this segment works. <laughs> this is the wrong show for us. Uh if I could double tap, I'll do another one. Uh, you could do you could do one more. I this is getting silly. I got season. one more. Okay, Riley. We each can do one more. Maybe we're not as into her as we used to be, but she won a lot of her hearts for a long time. Who was it? Who'd you say? Riley Reed. Is that a porn from star? adult film fame. <laughs> <laughs> really, the porn star Riley Reed? <laughs> that is who I'm talking about. She's good at what she does. Yeah, Ryan. Who has starred on Sunday Night TV for the last decade? His name is Michael Trout, and he was oh! born in 1991. Are you kidding me? I, I oh fucking I saw that, and I was like, I don't really know anything about him. Why, why? would I put this on my why? fucking shit off? Your <laughs> pop filter babies of 1991 are Lakeith Stanfield, Tyler the Creator, uh, Riley Reed, <laughs> and Mike Trout. Okay, right at the end there, Mike and I went straight for Greg's heart, and we yep, won. Yep, yeah. I mean, Mike Trout is like maybe one of the best ever. He loves Mike Trout. And Riley Reed got to be up there. For his heart and for his nuts. <laughs> when we come back, back to talking about this important movie about feminism. <laughs> well, that is very, very funny. Or very sad. And perhaps now you have something to think about. Or very problematic. And perhaps we have something to think about. But in any event, I'm sure you have some reaction to what you're listening to. So why not check us out on the social media? You can go to Instagram or Twitter and find us at Your Pop Filter. Email contacts at Your Pop Filter. Hey, everybody. Keep watching them movies. What is specifically Ridley Scott about this movie? Could another director have turned in this same film? Let's start with the fact that... Nobody wanted to make this movie because it was about women. And mm. he was like, yeah, I think that he wanted to be a producer. And uh-huh. they were like, okay, cool. Produce this motherfucker. And then like they would grab their nuts while they said right. that. <laughs> Boys. But then he was like, uh, if I direct it, he probably wanted a female director. And probably. the only way to get it made was, yeah, if you put your name on it. Well, same thing where like with Alien, Ripley was supposed to be a dude and he fought against that. Believe it or not. Because he's like, I think Sigourney Weaver will crush. Uh, I think he has been, like, not loud. He's just very quietly, his whole career, been like, hey, women are really good at what they do, and their stories are interesting, too, Hollywood. And it doesn't (laughs) doesn't feel like virtue signaling. It doesn't feel like on his agenda. It just feels like, uh, you know, this factual thing is factual. But when you start looking at the body of his work, it all does start to push in kind of one direction. Like, And again, it, it brings me back to The Last Duel. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you For know, sure. the movie's 30 years apart in time. These years are each one Riley Reed apart, a, a, a but <laughs> they are basically about so much the same ideas about how men don't like because I, I think a, a main element of both is that men don't have access to the real world. 
mm-hmm. because their privilege blinds them to such a degree that they can't actually see it's like what's going on women are in the real world and men are in this like half-ass real world half-ass matrix yeah and we just plug in and it's called road rules everything is supposed to keep the boys calm that's the thing because if they if they get a little agitated they instantly fly off the handle even the really good ones will pick up a table and throw it across the room and then you have to like soothe him and Best case scenario, it. he's thrown a table across <laughs> the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then you have to you that is just part of the narrative then. Right? And so I think he sees that. But are we missing the point if we talk about Ridley Scott? Because he didn't want to direct this movie. Is this even his movie? It, or is it the movie of uh, screenwriter Callie Corey? I think I think it's definitely hers, but like the Ridley Scott is in it is is he doesn't look down upon action. Like he's somebody who he he's up there when people talk about great directors, but he is like Jane, right. like Jimmy Cam's and Steven Spielberg. He's also somebody who's like blockbuster is awesome and blockbuster is art. It's and yeah. part of his blockbuster video is that it's a movie. Yeah, and like so and when the helicopter cool comes and up big. and they're blowing up the gas truck, like <laughs> he's also like I'm still really Scott, baby. <laughs> like, but like it, what we're talking about is how he he made people learn the wrong lessons. Like maybe Michael Bay and Mick G, mm-hmm. if I could throw out those three letters. Uh, people of that, Brian Singer, maybe learned the wrong lessons from right. Ridley Scott and Steven Spielberg. Of, no, just make things explode. While they were like, right. the explosion is secondary, though. Like, what first. if you had, what if you had like, uh, as Mike said, real dimensional, which goes past three dimensional, real mm-hmm. dimensional characters, right, and real dimensional chess now. And we're trying to actually say something. Then you can throw some explosions in there, and now we've got a perfect movie. Yes, and also the scene specifically that has that explosion. That's the scene that I I find is the hardest for me to wrap my mind around. I it's there's the goofiest. There's ten minutes of this movie, and I can't say the last fifteen minutes because the last five minutes are really really well shot. It snaps back. It like yeah. it snaps the, wh- back to reality. Filming that car in like essentially Monument Valley, and we won't talk about where what kind of movie takes place in Monument Valley yet. We won't do it. I, this I, I'm, time, I'm not going to. Like, we'll probably. Do it. I'm erasing the name of the valley from my mind. Um, but the movie snaps back in such a way where like we get some crazy great, very effective car shots of them by themselves yes. and then by that not. But some so technically brilliant that like. Yeah are really just kind of, like, breathtaking in their execution. Especially when you think about, there's no CGI back then. (laughs) Oh, I love practical effects. The shot around the Thunderbird as it goes down the road is Mm -hmm. so sharp and crisp, and it's done perfectly at the perfect time. There's one. And nothing looks stupid. Towards the very end, where, like, uh, the girls in their car are on the right side of the screen, and then there's a cliff. And then I'm like, what is that, a bird? Oh, my God, that's a helicopter. <laughs> it's and flying below the car, Ryan. Yeah, Like, that is – I know that Susan and Gina weren't there for that, you know, but still. They were the probably amount of, on the side watching, drinking some coffees. The amount of, coffees. like, technical, like, drawing out to get that one perfect yes. shot yes. is – but And before, then the, the helicopter comes right over the camera, uh-huh. and it hits, like, the perfect – like, it, the, the helicopter's in the perfect spot. Before we get to that last five minutes, we have the ten minutes before that. And what we have in that ten minutes before that is the iconic, I do think, gas truck blowing up. And it's iconic oh. because, not just the explosion, but because of how great uh, Thelma and Louise look sitting on their car. Like, that's the thing is that, like, they fully arc now. They don't give a fuck. They are pointing yeah. their guns at that truck. But They're both like, the, the movie's done for us, baby. <laughs> like, and then right after that, it becomes the Blues Sisters for ten minutes. And it's just cop yeah. cars careening everywhere. Yeah. And that's the part that feels really out of tone. The that, whole... It, it, it feels oh like God. leading up 
there's so much uh arcage and we're, we're watching these people grow and we're watching these these fully I love developed. when you talk like Polly Shore. <laughs> get some arcage. Arcage, buddy. Uh but and he's like, well, the producers are going to need some Hollywood. Like th- this is a save the cat like page 89 does need some big explosion, so he just his Ridley Scott giant middle finger there. Oh, you want to give it, you bitch? a fucking explosion? I <laughs> wish directors could put in the corner like producers' notes. <laughs> like just it just says that in the top right hand corner when there's a scene like that. There is the part of the movie we're talking about starts with a very interesting shot of the car. So they're in Monument Valley, but it's so clear that uh, the actresses are sitting in the car while the car is like on the back of a flatbed on a truck. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And the car and it's just swaying back and forth and they are driving through kind of the same patch of Monument Valley over and over again. It's like the viewer is very they're much aware that they're just going past yeah. the same things over and over again. And I'm not saying that this is a dream. I'm not saying that it's not in the reality of the movie, but the movie embraces dream logic. And part of what happens is they get Earl this manifestation of like all the worst of male id, mm-hmm. all like sort of put together, and he becomes an almost uncharacter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like as men decrescendo into yeah. absolute cavemen, they devolve. crescendo, it devolve, they crescendo into or evolve into absolute fucking action heroes. And, and they, that's well, the thing. And yeah, they're saying lines, and they're both kind of looking at each other like that's not something. But I, I wonder if it's saying like in like. In Buddhism, like when you hit that nirvana, when you truly have no attachments to real life anymore, you will become the full you. Uh-huh. And that's them uh-huh. being like, nothing matters anymore. So, of course, everybody around us seems like a cartoon. They th- they should have gotten out of their car and just not hit the ground. Just floated a little bit towards the end of the movie. Like Grease. Uh, and this, I'd say, is the part of the movie that I kind of struggled with. And it's just in an awkward place in the movie because the both the main characters have sort of like completely, as Mike said, become themselves. And then they enter into just this weird cartoonish moment in the movie, mm-hmm. culminating in that truck exploding, which is like, I don't know if you remember the end of American Psycho, but the way he knows that he's like hallucinating is he shoots at a cop car and it just blows up. Yes. Like just shooting at a tanker truck and then it blows up is, that's movie logic. That's dream logic. That's not reality. I, I, I definitely share your feelings, Greg. And like, I, this 10 minutes of the movie does stick out, but... So many movies that are about boys start with this mm-hmm. uh, shooting the gas truck and then go from right. there. And for this movie to, like, they start as nobodies, as just blue collar, work a day women, and then get to this point. And so, even though it sticks out, the fact that it doesn't stick out anywhere near as much as it should, right? That's what's impressive. It's not that it's not dumb because it is, but it should have been way dumber. It should have been dumber. Yeah. Do, do, do any part of you guys wish that this was? Thelma and Louise first blood, and then they went on to become big die. Oh hell like, yeah! They just sure. followed the Rambo scenario, so we get like stupid, big, even dumber action movies with the two of them after and this. I felt like, and they might do this if the movie were made today, but I felt like it should project more into that dream space. Like, have it be at some point someone says, you know, uh, the movie, re- their story really ends at this part, and everything after mm. that is a big dream sequence. Keep going. <laughs> Make it so yes. they can keep going. Like, like have them picked up by an alien before the car hits the ground. <laughs> or, like, you know, have, have them land on a big bird that flies them away to Mexico. Like, just keep going and push it until what you have left is not reality grinding them down, but unreality unspooling because it no longer is connected to anything. Like, let them go into that mythopoetic space that mm. they, like, ultimately are jumping into. But... I think they did. I think that, like, the way that it ends... That's what happened? Yeah, Yeah. I think that's (laughs) what we got, you know? It it is... 
it, it's when Thelma becomes Louise and Louise becomes yes, Thelma. Yes, when they yeah. cross is, over. Is the switch. Like, you're supposed to, in movies like this, and I do want to point out that, like, do you know how fucking hard it is to have, two, like, a screenplay with two characters and then have two actresses have basically the same lives, right? Like, mm-hmm. blue-collar, Arkansas, wives or girlfriends or whatever, and be this like distinct as yeah. characters go is and performances go i think is so impressive but in a movie like this in an odd couple movie you're supposed to just come together you're supposed to realize that we were supposed to be in the middle the entire time but for this movie to like take like a bergman persona-esque thing yeah and have them completely right. switch sides where right. uh thelma's like hey Louise, shoot the fucking radio. <laughs> shoot the ra- the that is the now. fucking moment. <laughs> I have Louise to say, now. though. Look, look. <laughs> watching, the watching the movie a second time, I thought they switched as well. But I'll tell you, what happens at the end is Thelma becomes Thelma. That's really what yeah. happens. Because it's, she brings a fucking gun on the trip. She yes. packs. Chekhov's they, gun, baby. They say later she packs like she was never coming back. Yes. When mm-hmm. she says she wants to pull off the road, she knows she's going to get hammered. She knows she's going to try to pick up a guy. She doesn't know that men are so awful that th- that's not right. going to be able to work out. Because she's known one man her whole life. Yeah. But, like, she is doing everything she intended to do on this trip. I don't yes. think she ever thought, I'm coming back to this life. Or, one yeah, way she or even another. brought her fishing pool net. Yeah, her, like swimming <laughs> cleanup net. And her lantern. And Louise the was lantern. like, we're, we're not going to need the lantern. And she was like, Mike. I'm going to bring the lantern. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to bring the lantern. You got to bring right. the flashlight, right? These yeah. Are, these are great images for movies. 91 was all about tiny little things, You're handheld bring the things. Light with yeah. You. Uh, there's two things that I want to point out that are perfect combinations of Ridley and Callie. Uh, the first one is there is a moment in this movie that should be along like the. The iconic one-liners of, like, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that is when um, Thelma tells, or Louise tells Thelma, when you think that, when Daryl acts weird, hang up the phone. And she calls yes. her house. <laughs> and Daryl answers, and he's like, uh, Thelma, baby! Hello. And she hangs up immediately. <laughs> immediately. He knows. <laughs> he knows. That's, that was probably in the script. That was Ridley as well. Like, that is a fucking perfect moment. The other yes. one that absolutely destroyed me was and this is this is the kind of thing that's in the script but needs a director is harvey Keitel and louise are on the phone at the end of the movie and he brings up he he's finally the one to bring up i know what happened in texas and she hangs up the phone and she looks at her reflection in the phone booth but the 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 reflection in the phone booth is behind us so in order to look at it she has to look directly at us like we Mm. all finally know what happened to her and she makes essentially direct eye contact with the audience. Yeah. And, sh- and he holds it for so long. Right. And yeah. they, I, I, like, I had heard that like, people didn't know that Louise was raped but the, when they watched this movie in 91. They were like, oh, my God, that totally went above Even my head. Even Thelma, who's a little naive, knows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when it all finally – and like, I, I praise the movie so much for not having flashbacks. For not going into detail, yeah. you know, right. just having it be Louise's thing that it, and she's in control of it. She was not in control of that right. moment, but she's in control right. of the, how the story is told. And then when Harvey Keitel finds out, and they talk about it, and she hangs up that phone, and then she finally looks, and it's at us. And that's the kind of thing that can be in the script, but that's also mm-hmm. Ridley, baby. Also, that's the moment where he gets her. Mm-hmm. Like that's she stays on the phone too long, yeah, right. because he drops that. 
And so that thing that has been chasing her and that she's been trying to avoid is the thing that ultimately does get her in the end. And it's the nice, the nicest guy in Niceville right. that uses it on her. And that that's why they had to go off into the sunset, literally, is yeah. because we we watched it happen to Gina Davis. It did happen to Susan Saran or Thelma and then it did it had happened to Louise. Louise has not escaped it. Thelma will not either. This is the only way out is holding hands, driving off the fucking cliff, because at least that's their decision. Yes. That they And that's that's why the gas tank is so goofy, is because that happens real close yes, after this yes. scene because it is if like it, if it had been more towards the middle of the movie but mm-hmm. it's like it, the, it is the, the scene is dropped into the emotional arc because the stuff that comes right before that scene and the stuff that comes the, right after it is so impactful and that's the part that makes it just like a little hard to totally wrap I, my mind I, around i think it's a uh heat check <laughs> yeah uh, and it looks gases? like a heat check like a like a 40 <laughs> foot like a 40 foot jumper yeah you can see the, the waves yeah <laughs> like you're eight for eight in the second quarter and you're like you know what i'm just gonna shoot from the logo like i can do this well i got vibes of you know in hamilton when there's three songs about our, our child son just died uh-huh. and we don't know what to do with it and then somebody goes in a very fucking looney tunes voice can we get back to politics now please <laughs> uh, it, it felt like that like this is too serious i don't want to do it. i want to be in a movie this is too serious. You know what we need to do, gentlemen? We need to recast the podcast when we come back. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening so far. And let me just tell you that everything ahead of this commercial is much better than what came before it. That's my guarantee. While I have you here, let me tell you about a website. It's called yourpopfilter.com. And it's everything you need that's related to Pop Filter. Everything Mike, everything Ryan, everything Greg, everything Cassie. Everything is there at yourpopfilter.com. While you're there, go to yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Make that your new Amazon bookmark and do your shopping from there. That way we get a little piece of the action and Amazon doesn't. Make sure you're also listening to everything that Pop Filter has to offer, which includes the Superhero Show Show, a podcast that covers every single TV show that's based on a comic book or comic book property, and Movie of the Year where we sit down and try and figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. That's Superhero Show Show, that's Movie of the Year, and that's YourPopFilter.com. Rate, subscribe, review, bye! I tire of this podcast, and I tire of its members. Let's recast the podcast with completely new people. You have each brought me new potential people to recast the podcast. And these are like the 90, these stars of 91. Right? 91 is fuck. Our analogs, I guess. Like who was mm-hmm. us in 91? Uh, and you will now tell me those right now. Let's start with Ryan. Let's recast Ryan first. Ryan, who do you think should play you? I look at me and I see somebody who is an odd color. Just bright pink <laughs> okay, and not happy about the situation. Not happy that Greg's the host. Not happy that Mike is a panelist. Not happy that neither one of them is not the mama. I'm recasting me as the baby dinosaur from the show Dinosaurs. Okay, point of order. Is this the baby dinosaur from the show Dinosaurs? Or is it William Barr, ex-attorney general, who looks exactly <laughs> like the dinosaur? Greg, excellent not question. Barbar. It's it's actually the the puppet dinosaur from the show Dinosaurs. Or real dinosaurs. He does have a law degree. Did that show Dinosaurs figure out Jurassic Park technology in order to shoot the show? Yes. 
That's crazy. <laughs> I actually heard that that Earl, the dad, his voice was a mix of an elephant and a lion and a whale blended together. That's how they got that voice so well. But we had Earl, the truck driver from Thumb and Louise, yeah. and we had the Dixie Chick song. Earl had to die. Like, if you're named Earl, fucking go fuck, fuck you. yourself. Yeah. Uh, That's hey. what my name is Earl. That's why it killed Jason Lee's career. Come check out my baby, Earl. <laughs> you hate your baby already? <laughs> All right. So, um, Mike, Ryan thinks he should be the baby dinosaur from the mm. show Dinosaurs. Who do you think he should be? I have a different take on Ryan. I think it's, uh, I think he can charm the pants of anybody. And you're like, I just want to talk to this guy more and more. He says stuff I, I don't understand all the pants. time. but <laughs> uh, And man, does he look good in a Canadian tuxedo. And he's always where you don't expect him. But then he's going to run away with it all. I'm going to say JD from Thelma and Louise. <laughs> what? Wow. This is a weird. I would let Ryan take my wedding ring off any day. <laughs> do you think he did that because he stole it? Like, do you think he also stole her wedding That's ring? That's part of it. He's like, well, th- well also, like. That should have been gonna- the first red light, right? Or as like- a former fuckboy, this is how you're like, well, this is, we'll make. She- I don't want her to look down as we're making out and remember. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I'm going to remove this right now. And, yes, he definitely pawned that the next day. Do you remember, though, I even though it was $6,700, that's a lot of money to be sold. But do you remember Gina Davis's hair the morning after? Like, it might have been Hell worth yeah. it. <laughs> that, well, that was night- a great montage. I mean, okay, yes. if, if you look at the entire, like, her entire life, that character's whole entire life, mm-hmm. even though that goes really south because he robs them, like, I don't know that you'd want to take that night no. away from her. It's the that's first the time she's sexual been fucked, joy. Man. Yeah, it's like, she came. Like, she's got that, like, did you know Having you could do that? Not knowing that <laughs> orgasms existed. Mm-hmm. You, like, it's like someone being like, oh, you didn't know you could just, like, jump 18 feet in the air? <laughs> All right, so I'm going to mull these two choices. But as I do so, I'm going to move on. Ryan, who do we think should replace Mike? Mike, to me, is a pretty boy. I'm going to make this more uh, complimentary based on calling me Brad Pitt. Uh, Very handsome. Girls love him. Uh, uh, Despite that, he's super fucking annoying and his hairdo sucks. He's Edward Furlong. Eddie Furlong. I thought it was going to be the brother from Dinosaurs. <laughs> I have a bit of a theme going. <laughs> but no, I would say that uh, Greg and I, as the uh, T-800 and Sarah Connor of this podcast, mm. are always walking around with Mike jumping behind us going like, I can help. Look at my backpack. With his weirdly dubbed high voice. <laughs> trying, trying to teach you new lingo. Yeah. <laughs> Kids so, say on fleek now, guys. If some guys in your face say hasta la pasta, hombre. All right, that that's pretty good, Eddie Furlong. Mike, who do you see when you think of your replacement on the podcast? Look, I know I think I'm very smart. I know I think I deserve a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I know my hair is very dumb, uh-huh. and I'm more pretentious than I want to be. I'm Barton Fink. I'm fat, so I burp and <laughs> fart. Barton Fink! Barton Fink! I'm fat, so I Barton Fink. <laughs> so specifically, you want... To replace yourself with the character Barton Fink. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, you oh, you always are writing those wrestling pictures. <laughs> how, well, how do people wrestle? I'll just make it up. All right. Let's move on to a little touch of vitamin G. Greg. <laughs> We're going to swap out Greg. Who are we going to swap in his place? Who's bringing that big Greg energy? Ryan, let's start with you again. Oh, wait, who decides the points on the show? Uh, I believe it's... Yeah, I thought he was going to say Barton Fink. Skadoosh. That's a skadoosh. First one of the night, if you're paying attention. I think about Greg, I think about his. 
uh, just amazing wokeness, mm-hmm. his need to make the change in the world that we all want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Making his, a difference by thinking the right things, right, right? His amazing... <laughs> just... <laughs> if I said them out loud, it would be too powerful. Purity of opinion. <laughs> keep the black, black agar bolt again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm basically like if that black square from Instagram were a person. <laughs> <laughs> I think about Greg's um, ability to write poetry oh, yeah. and send it to Nancy Pelosi. I think about his wraparound glasses. He is the lead singer of the band who gave us Achtung Baby. He is Bono. <laughs> the fly uh, himself. Bono changing the world with his poems. Basically, Bono does with his poems what I do with just my perfect opinions. All right, well, Bono. Um, okay, I <laughs> guess I feel like Mike. You could probably do mm. better than that. When I when I think of Greg and the energy he brings to this show, it's sure maybe he's intimidating at first, but then he gets to know him and he's warm and cuddly. He's he's often corralling all Ryan and I. He's the strong and silent type only if compared to me and Ryan. Uh, and he also doesn't really know how to use the lingo the kids use. It is T-800. <laughs> That's so clever. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm like the old model, um, mm. but like maybe but the better best still. I've ever been. Yeah, yes. somehow the, the best ever. Um, I paired myself up with a really dynamic woman. Um, but I still yeah. get the credit for just showing up at the end and just even like, though she does most of the yeah, work. Yeah, even though she basically does everything, I think that's pretty good. And, and if we make Ryan Eddie Furlong, he's like my little dude, you know. I'm I always... think I was supposed to be Eddie Furlong. I'm fine with Ryan being Eddie Furlong, but oh no, yeah, you're supposed to be Eddie Furlong. Okay, well then let's do that, Mike. You will be Eddie Furlong. Unfortunately, that's a Ryan point. Shit, Ryan. Um, I will be the T eight hundred, which Mike, that's a Mike point. Yes, Mike. And then Ryan, I think the baby dinosaur from <laughs> Dinosaurs, also perhaps maybe one time Attorney General, who has both said since uh, Trump left office that uh, he does not think Trump is fit for office and that he will vote for Trump the next chance he gets. So. I Look, that is, I like that kind of self-reflection. <laughs> I guess he looks at Biden and he's just like, not the mama. When we come back, we are going to get to our third and final question. Hola, Felterinos. I just wanted to interrupt real briefly and say thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. If you want to support us a little more directly, you can go to patreon.com slash yourpopfilter. There, depending on what tier you pick, $1 a month, $5 a month. If you're crazy, anything more than $5 a month, don't do that. You can get extra content. There's extra shows, extra series, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, You can pay for ryan to draw you a picture uh, i can write you a poem you can get the shirts off our very own backs all of that and so much more over at patreon.com slash your pop filter while you're on the internet you should check out shady monk he does all the tunes you've been listening to he's on Bandcamp. he's on spotify uh, soundcloud wherever kids get their music these days that i'm too old to know shady monk lives there uh, you can probably follow him on twitter and instagram as well that's shady monk wherever you get music Check him out. All right. You were good little boys and kept it in your pants the whole show. It's time to do the Western question. The term Western is thrown around a lot over a wide variety of movies in its pure form, whatever that means, and in all of its sub- subgenres. 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 So what is Thelma and Louise? Western? Revisionist Western? Anti-Western Western? Feminist Western? 
Not best a Western. Western. Best Western. <laughs> <laughs> it's a courtyard, <laughs> at least. <laughs> um, I mean, like, it's so, so hardcore a Western. Let me just yes. jump in with the answer to this question. <laughs> is that like right? Big ass Western. H- having, I, I don't. I think that the term is thrown around a lot, and I think it's any time that there's characters in a movie, people be like, "Oh, that's a Western." The Batman, especially that's if a Western. it's dusty around them. If Shit, you hear like lace, a little Western. banjo, like a bow, oh, like doesn't that? Well, they do like, line bah, dance. Bah, 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 bah. No, uh, okay. The opening credits are like, by the way, this movie's a Western. <laughs> I know this is Arkansas now, but just wait. It's going to be a Western. But yeah, I mean, the outlawness of it all, so much yes. to the fact that we literally define the term outlaw and we define to audiences, this is what makes a criminal good mm-hmm. and this is what makes a criminal bad. Like, there you go. And then it's not shot in Monument Valley. It's supposed to, I think look like it but Arkansas. we're around no the Grand Canyon so, and Los so for, Angeles. I know but for those audience why is Monument Valley such a big deal? Monument Valley is, Valley is I believe in Utah and that was like right. where all of John Ford's Rio Grande best Rio Westerns. Bravo Rio Bravo yeah. Johnny Bravo The Searchers Rio, Johnny Drama Searching Rio for Bravo. Bobby Fisher Turtle Rio Bravo is Howard mm. Hawks You guys make this so easy to talk <laughs> about movies uh, But yes The Searchers was a John Ford Western we shot partly in Monument Valley Along wow. with Stagecoach and all, all of his famous ones. And, but you guys know the look. It's like red. Stagecoach. Red rocks. Yes. You know, and rocks. like in Great a certain venue. way, it's like a certain way where it sort of looks built. Where like yes. these ro- rocks are just stacked on top of each other in such a, a weird way. And if this wasn't Ridley Scott trying to make a Western, then I'll, I will fucking eat my own the, shit. The music is 100% Western. Like, uh, it's all twangy guitars and all, like, um, the beginning of Roseanne harmonicas. <laughs> <laughs> the most Western of sitcoms. Yeah, the most Western. Midwestern, but still Western. So, you want to so you wanna do music for Thelma Louise? That's cool. It's just, your resume, this is just a piece of paper that says, I did the beginning of Roseanne. What? Do you think you're qualified? <laughs> this I is so now. musically Western that when JD shows up, uh, I was convinced that Brad Pitt was playing their harmonica. There's set, he keeps touching his mouth. Like he, <laughs> we, we, we would learn later that's My. what he does throughout his career. But I thought part of the music, I thought the guitar was non-diegetic, and I thought the harmonica was him. And I was like, that's interesting. <laughs> or at, at the very least, playing one of those. Uh, what do they call it? Where like a mouth, mouth, a mouth heart. Thank you. The worst sound of all time. <laughs> The one of the few instruments available to the Wild West, and probably one of the worst sounds. That's why there was so much murder back in the day. I, I I'm a big fan. If thinking about westerns, I'm a huge fan of the modern western, Hell or High Water. And having not seen Thelma and Louise, and now I have, I can be like, oh, you just went. What if we made Thelma and Louise with dudes? I still love that movie, but fuck you, that movie. And, and think about how much reliance we have on that term. Again, I think it's super misused. I think that a lot of times, like there will be a good guy versus a bad guy at the end of the movie and mm-hmm. they'll be like oh this is a west this is a western i saw this is a western that, that's actually literally every movie ever made um but like saying like rooting for the bad guy yes. is i think such a uh integral part to this movie well, and like specifically it seems like it's very much in conversation with butch cassidy and the sundance mm-hmm. kid like those movies end in exactly the same way and this is not how butch cassidy and the sundance kid ends but their plunge it's like one of the big moments of that movie when they when they jump into the river. Like it is so. I mean, is Catherine Ross in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise are they in it for the exact same amount of screen time at the exact same moments? Like yeah, they like fall probably. in the same range in the movie, and then the, just the last shot is like 
you know, being surrounded by the federales, mm-hmm. like being surrounded by, and then having no th- and no choice but to either go out hard or get arrested. And one of them saying to the other one, like, I can't, I can't do that. Right. Um, and so in those ways, it seems like the term does get thrown around a lot, but it seems like Ridley Scott almost had a paranoia that you would not get <laughs> what he was doing. Is it too Western? I think there are, I, this movie is for, everybody right it's for the folks so this is not just an art house movie and i think that there are times where either he or the script writer were just a little afraid that folks maybe wouldn't get what was going on well i mean just the fact that there's girls like that might be enough to ruin it for that's an art house movie then right five years later we had the movie bad girls with drew barrymore and madeline stowe that the female young guns but uh regulators this, this one i can see that they were yeah a little nervous greg but this one seems like the female young guns in a way. I mean, it, it seems like th- like this is like the, the quintessential cowboy story. So much so that the fact that like I think reality breaks down in this movie because they're entering into the sort of Western. They become um, Pecos Bill. <laughs> like they, kind they, of, it's yeah. too mythos. The whole idea that they're even in Monument Valley seems like they're way off track where they're trying to go. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they only go there so that they can be in that particular space. Um, and then they, like, fly off into the Grand Canyon. It feels like they're kind of in a different space when they go there. But all those things come together to give us that, you know, that outlaw spirit. What if it l- was alive in a 90s housewife? Mm. And. I'm looking right now. I I do think that this is the only thing that approaches Western, if we're going to be more literal and less like it can mean anything. But think of this is the guy who made Alien, Blade Runner, uh, 1492. Do you guys remember when two Christopher Columbus movies yes. came out within a month? And I didn't see either one because I was like, you know what? I can't pick one. Well, that's because La- you hate Italian people. Uh, I hate one Italian. I, I, I straight up hate Christopher Columbus. I thought you meant me. <laughs> just like, oh no. no! I love you. You must be baby boy. No, but Christopher Columbus is a monster. Uh, yeah. Gladiator, Black Hawk Down, Kingdom of Heaven, Robin Hood, like these are wildly different genres. Like th- going back to Barton Fink, like you would say this is a wrestling picture. Uh-huh. These are all different blank pictures, pictures, you know. And so this is how he would like having. It almost feels like he has a checklist, and this is his western. And, and that's you know, awesome. part of. Like, it is awesome. What, what, what a student, what a, like, there's like student film, you're in film school and you're like, I want to try to make this and you watch them learn. He's learning and playing with the genres, but not in a Deadpoolian way. He's never winking and no, not no, in a no. way like, I don't know what I'm doing. He is obsessed with these genres and goes like, I'll crush it. But no, I'll crush that one. It's not, let's let's make a Western and then make it wacky. It's let's take the story and make it a Western. Yes. yes. Those are two very different things, you know? And I'm not, I'm not saying that Callie Corey right. didn't have a ton to do with it. I'm sure she wrote a Western too, but- he is playing with the tropes of the Western in the background, yeah. on the back burner instead of the foreground, for sure. Speed round. Speed round. You know what that means. The questions come quick and often. Why all men suck so bad? Well, that's just the way that we were raised. Probably and it's our right to do it. Something women did. <laughs> Ryan. This movie very much, I feel like, makes the case that um, because they're they're just we permit Ladies. it, we just permit it, and because they, because men constantly cover for each other in mm-hmm. every little way. The best man in this movie covers for all the worst men all the time, and, and the and best man in this movie brings in all the awful forces that ultimately kill this woman. There's no way Harvey Keitel couldn't step to Stephen Tobolowsky in any world, and I'm a Tobolowsky no. stan, but yeah. 
Tobiaski is like, this is the way it's going to be. And Kaitel's like, okay, I guess it has to be. Fuck you. You punch that guy and you take over. And this is not a classic Toblowski performance. I think we all think that he's just doing renditions on Ned. <laughs> Ned Riley? Readermeyer or whatever yeah. from Groundhog Day. He is like, he's kind of like a boss in this movie, and yeah. it's strange to see. He's got an energy in this movie. He's folks. He's very masculinist in this movie, and that's obviously very bad, but also you just never see him like that, and so it, it's it's weirdly... Interesting, let's say. I don't want to say I would say the only best men that should be in this movie is you two at my wedding when I marry Thelma. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought you were more of a Louise guy. Did you? I always thought you were more of a Louise bro. Um, how does this rate against buddy road trip movies? How does this where's this stand in the pantheon of buddy road trip movies? The best. I, I think this is so good it makes me even madder at bad ones. Like I remember being angry watching due date and now I'm even angrier. How do you fuck that up? Like it's you get two charming people and you let them play off each other for a movie, and how do you fuck it up at all? I really thought this was gonna be the first show that we did in so long where Mike didn't bring up due date, but nope, <laughs> here we are again. Uh, I think it's an important thing to note that I think the appeal for road movies for writers and directors is that like you have an act one and act three, or whatever, and then act two is just like crazy Episodic. fun, just like yeah, we just get to have little skits, and this movie doesn't do that because they are arcing the and getting yes. better and worse the entire time, like. When you think about the fact that this was probably a fun road movie to shoot, and then you think they shot it out of order, mm. and Susan Sarandon had to remember that, like, yesterday I did this, but tomorrow I'm doing this, but, like, right. this is, you know, at the end of the movie. That's... Which version of Louise should I be today? Yeah, what a crazy job. <laughs> <laughs> right. They filmed the whole thing out of order. How confusing. The first movie to do that, and only. Why is it so easy to fall in love with Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis? Oh, man. They're, I mean, they're ne'er do wells. <laughs> okay. They, they're devil may cares. Uh, they're incredibly beautiful, <laughs> and like, just like I would be dressed down by either of them. Like, it would also, be amazing. Aren't like they are very beautiful, but isn't there a beauty to watching how effectively they act? Yes. In particularly this movie, like. Oh, you're not even asking Thelma and Louise. You're talking about Gina and Susan. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um. That like the. The way they move their faces, the the movie is like serves on so many different levels. But there's like about halfway through it, the acting of both the women kicks up like a couple notches because they become the characters become the very realist versions of themselves, and the acting is like transcendent in those parts, among the best we've ever done for like any of these movies. Do you got? They were both nominated for an Oscar. Do you know who won? Who? Uh, uh, was it Jodie Foster? It was Jodie Foster, yeah. That's, we also have to give out awards in a couple weeks, and that, this is going to be a fucking rough one, because I think such a big part of it is, especially if you juxtapose the boy scenes and the girl scenes, uh, they listen. Yes. Like, they, somebody will say a line, and then right. they'll think about it and internalize it and think Respond about what their tone. reaction is, and then yeah. they will think about what the reaction is that like the person that they're Wants talking to, to needs. And then when it's uh, the boys' scenes, it's like, what? What? Shut up. What? Fuck you. Here's my I was just I was just giving an example of that by not letting Ryan finish <laughs> yes, the sentence about me also talking. Mike, shut the fuck up right now. I'm okay, just showing well. what the boys do. <laughs> this is a podcast by and for the boys, so nobody ever finishes a sentence on this show. Um, that kiss at the end between Thelma and Louise, uh, is that queer coded at all? Is there any queer dynamic dynamic to what's going on with them? I, I think again, to be, I feel like more and more on the show, maybe it's the older I do get, the more old man I am becoming. It's like, 
I think a lot of stuff in the world and in Hollywood is queer coded, but I think this there's podcast, also just for instance. deep, intimate friendships and not every bit of intimacy means queer coded and they were gay the whole time just because they love each other. Mike. And I think that they, they are going to die and they both know that at that point. And I, I think you can show love without being like, that means they're gay. Yeah, I mean, I think this happens to uh, male-male relationships in movies way more than female-female relationships mm-hmm. about like, oh, they're gay. There you go. I, I called it first. I have dibs. I'm going to start like, a Reddit thread. I want to sound smart, so I'm going to say they're gay. I yeah. did it when I read Hamlet in high school. It is high school level <laughs> analysis. I, I'll say this. I think I kind of agree with you, but I think it's the opposite of what you're saying. I don't think there is as much of a distinction between the love we have for our friends right. and mm. like homosexual love. Like the, like We draw these divisions in mm. our love. And we draw these divisions in our intimacy. And it's not necessarily how it lines up with how we really feel. So I think that there is a queer component to their love. But I don't think that that is like an, an admission of it's, love for each other. Right. I think that it's because the whole world's queer. They yeah. Both, yeah <laughs> exactly. But these two ladies specifically like getting railed by dick. Uh, oh, I thought, they both want dick so bad. I thought all of that until I thought about the fact they say their full names like towards the end. And uh, Louise's name is Louise Elizabeth Sawyer. And what are those initials? Les. So it's a, it's it's a gay movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When we come back, this movie won some awards. But right now, it's going to win all the awards. And one recommendation that I won't forget. <laughs> I recommend you shut the fuck up. All right. Time for awards. A little thing we like to do where we give the movie all the awards it deserves. Let's start off. I'm going to go right for the jugular here. Pound for pound what performance. What the fuck, Greg? No, Greg. No. You're like Vince McMahon coming into the ring and saying, I don't know what, how wrestling works. Uh, I guess <laughs> coming in and being like, t- we're going to start the card tonight with um, The Rock Goldberg. versus Triple H. There you go. That's <laughs> one. Very good. Mike. Those are wrestlers. Those are wrestlers. And I could see them wrestling. Triple H is so... Weird to say. Why not just be H H H? Wouldn't that be better? (laughs) (laughs) The (laughs) orgasm. (laughs) Ryan, who do you think delivers the best pound for pound performance in Thelma and Louise? Gina Davis is a thirty-five year old serious woman. She's tall, like she's just she's stoic, and she becomes a child, and that sounds like a knock, and it's not it's I cannot believe what she does in this movie. There is one false moment that I want to point out before I keep blabbering about her. (laughs) One false moment in this entire movie where she starts laughing about how Harlan is dead. And it it, it kind of seemed like maybe not enough time spent in the movie on it or it just, it felt forced. But other than that, I like cannot stop watching her when this is not to say anything against Susan Sarandon. Mike, I hope that you pick Susan Sarandon and Greg has to choose. But <laughs> uh, she asks uh, Louise about, like, she's finally put it together why Louise doesn't want to go to Texas. And hey. Louise Louise is like, you, you shut up. You, sh- you don't talk about that. And she's just like, okay, okay, I'm sorry, okay. And yeah. that's the... That's the back part of yes. that scene, that FYC scene. You know, Susan Sarandon should be and sh- her like backpedaling and her friendshipness. And I was just trying to be there. Like Gina Davis, I, how was she not a star for like 
fucking Cutthroat Island, really? That's all we need to yeah. take an actress from her prime? It was over after Cutthroat Island. Wait, I mean, Streep did fucking Into the Woods. That's I've been wondering why neither of them are at that level, and I, I think it's like Ridley Scott likes to do big Hollywood but do it well. I think both of them do the same as actors, and I don't know, maybe because they're women. Uh, Trivia real quick, by the way. Uh, this movie is supposed to star Meryl Streep and uh, shit. What's her name? Goldie Hawn. Really? Wow. They turned it down and went on to make what other 1991 movie? Fried Green Tomatoes. Incorrect. I don't Steel know. Magnolia. I think it probably got closer than it should to the Elite Eight. It was Death Becomes Her. You guys remember that movie? Oh, I fucking Death Becomes Her. Love Death Becomes Her. Ryan. We would have had fun talking about Death Becomes Her. That's a movie Bruce that never Willis? got a fair yeah. shake. Bruce. It's so good. That movie never got a fair shake. All right, Ryan. So what, who was it? Who was your person? Gina Davis? Gina Davis. GD Gina Davis. Mike, do you agree, disagree, or pass? I th- oh, we can pass. Upstain. I think uh, Susan Sarandon is is so good in this. Uh, she so much internalized acting, so much simmering rage uh, at the world around her in different ways. Uh, it's Gina Davis. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's she. She is undeniable. She's hard to take your eyes off of, and all the things she has to do. It's not that it's a bigger performance. It's her her arc maybe it's just more evident. Uh, S- J- Louise starts this movie kind of hating everything, and you have to watch Thelma learn that. You watch Thelma become Billy the Kid. I mean, she comes, yeah. she becomes just like maybe a just wild this shit. <laughs> yeah, dude. And it's so exciting, and you watch Gina Davis go through so many phases. She just does such an amazing job that uh, I was so blown away by her performance. Director moment, Mike. When did Ridley make you cry out? Great Scott. <laughs> We had a whole I, I, fucking segment about this, yeah. and this is still hard. Yeah, we, we, yeah. We, there's there's so many like smaller things, but you know, like watching that. I, I think it has to be the helicopter flying out of the canyon over the car because he's somebody who's like, I can make nuanced movies. I can make you care about these characters, and then he can still pull out the holy fuck. How did he do that? Uh, that is such a good shot. Yes. And it sets you up perfectly. Like, your eye follows. He knows exactly what your eye is going to do. You look at, like, the big cliff. You look at the car. You look at the dust. And while you were thinking, like, they're they're driving along the side of the cliff. That's kind (laughs) of cool. The helicopter suddenly pops out at, like, the exact perfect moment. Did we even talk about tonight that Ridley Ridley Scott rhymes with diddly squat? We didn't. No, not nearly enough. We didn't enough. even one That should have been its own 15-minute segment. Ryan, sound off. Here's your first point. Ryan. And then just sort of sound off on that. I want a director who gives me Ridley Scott. I don't want a director that gives me Diddly Squat. Very good. Uh, do you want me to uh, talk about my, the award that I want to give? <laughs> nope. That's you. Let's skadoosh that one right off the show. But what do you think the best director moment is? I think that this guy has a lot of interest in a lot of things, and... Um, that sort of comes with all the movies we talked about, all the genres. But for tonight, I don't think he's a car guy. But I'm gonna pick cars. I like. There's some camera swings around this T-bird, Thunderbird, yeah, that uh, are really impressive. As like we said, not in the age of CGI. And I also want to point out uh, when they see Brad Pitt for the second time, uh, the camera is in love with this car more than Brad Pitt for the only time in the movie. Where in one shot it swings around, picks him up, barely stops. He jumps in, and then the car just goes again. Yeah. Like this car looks great in this movie, it, and just like Thelma and Louise, I'm not saying that it's a character. New York is a character in this movie. The car is <laughs> not. Um, it gets dirtier and more of a veteran as the movie goes on. I think someone playeth to the host. <laughs> Uh, in that car, so you talked about where they pull over to pick up um, Brad Pitt. Uh, 
uh, Thelma's like, can we pick him up? And then she starts whining yeah. like a dog. Yeah. She just, and then the, <laughs> <laughs> she, she's like, I'm sure dog. that was very formative for a lot of people. <laughs> I'm going to go with the car. I love the role of the car in this. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the Thunderbird, the, the bird that flies at the end that gets free. Uh, very big in, in the Southwest. We never like to do it, but we have to do it. Oh, I think we can get Ryan. What's the cringe moment? Ryan, what mo- what moment made you cringe? I think this one is very obvious. When you have one black character in the movie, you must give them every trait that you believe a black character to have, which you uh listening to music, listening to Jimmy Cliff, loud, too loud, uh smoking a fucking doobie. Fat blunt. Yeah. And the ultimate black stereotype bicycler and full on bicycle gear. <laughs> blacks love cycling. White guy like you see on the side of PCH biking up and down. And if, if what it felt like was like the movie was like somebody came up to Ridley Scott uh, and they were like, we don't have enough money for four black people. We only have enough money for one. And he was like, tie them all in together. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, and, and his part of the movie, like it's not clear what they're doing with that part no. of the movie. Why it's happening. <laughs> it's it's so like they weird. almost got to the end and they're like, no, literally there is not a black person even in the background of one of these shots. Oh, and they wait, w- there's somebody riding their bike yeah, down the street. Should driving. we grab him? We're putting him in. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny when he blows the pot into yeah. the... But like Plus that, A-cab. Yeah, that scene is not doing anything in the movie. No. Like, it, it, it is, this is mine as well, because I, it, it, any other time the movie made me cringe, and it did, it's like it, the movie wants you to cringe. When, yeah. when Thelma and Louise blame each other for the rape that just happened, the movie wants you to cringe. Yeah. It yeah. wants you to be uncomfortable. But this is the one moment where I'm like, you guys just, I guess it was the 90s. Like, you just did not have control of your tone right here. And this is also post-truck explosion, post-Louise's revelation. And it really is like the studio's like, we haven't laughed in a while. We're we're just in a John Landis movie for 10 minutes of this movie. And and it's crazy. The scene is long, too. Mm -hmm. The scene is really long. Like... I commend this movie for being just a scouch over two hours. You could have gotten to two, everybody. Oh, you yes. You could have gotten to and two. I and think if, we, if the three of us script. wrote down the minutes that should be cut, all three yes. of us would have the exact same minutes. Yes. Uh, Ryan? I do want to point out, though, like not to take this a step farther, but uh, that like that was the most dangerous. Like Harlan probably deserved to die, and there's really no other like violent crimes committed. That cop in that trunk for that long, like... That that cop could have died. Yeah, that oh, guy's gonna be the dead. Desert? Yeah. Do you see how much the biker was sweating? Like clearly, they, they took a six pack of beer. Can we? <laughs> do we also talk about the fact that like Ryan. between this and Terminator Two, action movies with no deaths, Harlan is like the only on screen death that we see in two of the biggest action movies of 1991. Wow, is yeah, that a weird thing point. that's going on? Same. Actor? Do you think what? audiences are like done with murderous violence? Yeah, I just think that uh, we wanted cartoonish violence, but we didn't have to think about what was going on. I mean, this is right mm-hmm. around um, the the Iraq War, so maybe like people wanted to feel like not connected to actual violence. Mike, hmm. what is the Thelma-iest moment of the movie? They, they, they're, there's so many, right? I mean, her name is one of the halves of the title. Uh, and I, for a while, I wanted to be cute and say it was a moment Louise at the end. Oh, but I would have loved that. I refuse. Okay. Uh, I refuse to be cute. I I really <laughs> do think it's that uh, Thelma lets them get robbed by Brad Pitt because she just is too trusting. And then also 
instantly, because she oh, is always going to see a silver lining, steals his script word for word, and then robs a bank with it. <laughs> yes. All right. So the the whole like uh, bank rob or the whole store robbing scene. The the, the one two punch of like, well, we need money because I did fuck up and trust somebody too much, but I will fix it. Yeah. With okay. This. What do you say, Ryan? I like. I have to go back to the first ten minutes of the script because again, this script you could spend you could take a class on screenwriting and spend the entire semester on this script uh and so in the first 10 minutes we see her pack everything and that's Mm -hmm. because of what a child she is and also what of like a like how much knowledge of the future she has at the same time and then to put the cherry on top of that pie i don't know uh the way that she runs while she's packing like yeah she's (laughs) just like you know, she just has this Thelma Dropping run that everywhere. O- only Thelma could have. And we get to see the T-Bird's iconic trunk there, which, like, mm. opens in a yeah, weird way. Which I did not understand at any point no, how the car works. No, it was bananas. That's a DeLorean-style. <laughs> at one point, they opened a trunk on the bottom and asked Brad Pitt to get in it. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I'm going to give that one to Ryan. I think that um, that packing scene, you see all of Thelma. You see, like, the outlaw Thelma getting ready to present herself like the way she just without any real thought goes into the room sits down looks at the gun for one half of one second is like yep taking this too (laughs) picks it up like it was just fired like it's still hot yeah two fingies Ryan what do you think is the Luisiest moment again first 10 minutes first line um you girls shouldn't smoke (laughs) it makes you (laughs) bad at sex and like I'm the mom and I'm the teacher but I'm cool because the thing s- that I'm concerned about is your sex lives, but you shouldn't smoke. And then the hypocrisy, the I'm a smash an, cut. Smash <laughs> cut to smoking. Yeah. That's, come on, explain Luis to me better than that. <laughs> Excellent. Mike, can you? I think you? I can. Uh, it is. <laughs> Luis, she's a caring friend. You know, she's like, Thelma, you know what? You should just go swim. You need to stop thinking about what just happened. I'm yeah. going to figure this out. I will take care of you. Go relax and swim. And then without making a plan, it's instantly like, move your ass. What are you doing? We got to go. <laughs> And in classic Thelma and Louise moment, uh, rips off her headphones, screams at her. Gina Davis screams, then Susan Sarandon screams. And now we're all just screaming <laughs> yes. at each other. She has to jump in in her bathing suit. Yeah. I'm going to give that one to Mike. Mark. Mike. Mark. Um, last and certainly not least, and something we would never forget, any of us, <laughs> recommendations. Ryan, what do you recommendation? That there. <laughs> <laughs> good question, Greg. There's a ton of movies like this in that uh, two people that are not from the coast, let's say, jump in a car and commit Ew. crimes. Um, but the one I'm going to pick is called They Live by Night, which is directed by Nicholas Ray, the guy who directed uh, Rebel Without a Cause. And this is about a couple, a boy and a girl instead of two girls, but their names are Bowie and Kichi. So if you're not in love already, I don't know what to tell you. And <laughs> they do this thing where like, they are criminals. Right? Like they are outlawed. Mm-hmm. But it's impossible to watch this movie. And this is from like 1954 without seeing. Yeah, but it's society though, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's the world around them that keep pushing them into corners and never giving them out, you know, no matter what situation they're in. And it's not that they're like so dumb and in love that they have no choice but to think guns are cool. It's that we don't have other options. And I bet. There are other people like us. And that's the same feeling that Thumb and Louise gave me. And yes. guns are guns are cool. And let's not forget, if you pick them up with two fingies, guns are cool. Because like do you remember the part of Terminator Two at the end where she's like doing the pump and the shotgun and she's mm-hmm. part, yeah. yeah, that part's pretty cool. Uh, do you think Thumb and Louise should have been Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger? Dude, oh shit. 
you every once in a while you pitch like a mashup of movies and i'm never against it like <laughs> nothing is sacred just put these properties together it doesn't matter like it, that would be such a good fun movie mike yes what do you recommendation can i have two Mike, it's like you make one recommendation with all the... Okay, fine. Uh, okay. Uh, I blew up my load on both of these, which is why I feel like I'm allowed to say both of them. All right. Uh, I mentioned Hell or High Water, and it really is just the boys' version of Thelma and Louise. But it, it very similar to... They Came by Night? Is that what you... Yes. They Came by Night. Is uh, They do some fucked up shit, these two wacky brothers. Uh, But the whole time, you're like... <laughs> I'm on their side though. Like <laughs> and it is they are crushed under the thumb of big oil. Like how could they have done anything else but rob all these banks? And it really and, is that like giving uh, Harvey Keitel's role more screen time with Jeff Bridges. Yes. You know, and that does make the movie much more. He gets more a sidekick. Yeah. Uh and the other one, uh, if you're a patron, you've heard this, uh, is the handmaiden for a movie to tackle yeah. also criminality. Also, female sexuality and wanting it, and also fully on the side of the criminals and saying again, how could she have done anything else but what she did? Because the way society is, she's gonna have to cut these rules in half. Do you think parts of that were queer coded? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. My recommendation is gonna be the last duel. I very interesting companion piece to this, uh, set in a completely different time. You know, made thirty years later. Uh, set uh, 500 years earlier or whatever, and yet still the same basic story of men just absolutely creating another version of women um, out of their imaginations and then writing that onto the real women in their lives and then destroying the real people behind the imaginary creations that they made. Fuck. And, like... That has not changed in any way either since Thelma and Louise was made or five hundred uh, years. We've yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's fundamental. Four more years. Four more years. That's you know, what it's about. You know how I fucked up? I chose one Ridley Scott movie from twenty twenty one to watch, and I picked House of Gucci. And it's guys, it's not a good movie. I'm enjoying. You know what, Kelly and I, my wife, my lovely wife and I are watching House of Gucci, and I think because I've exclusively heard bad things about it, and because I am apparently deeply in love with Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Uh, I'm actually enjoying it. And I like Adam Driver, too. Why not? That's already John Oliver's thing, so I can't do anything with that. But when we come back, what I can do is I can tell you who won this here little contest, and I can tell you whether or not we think Thelma and Louise might have what it takes to become our 1991 movie of the year. That's a classic right there. That's a classic right there. A classic movie, but also, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but I think a classic episode of Movie of the Year. And Allow it. Ryan, during this classic episode, you scored 35 points. Okay. Very good score. Mike scored 33 points. Ah. The mantle of best friend passed from Mike to Ryan, and this was the this is the game to get it. <gasps> because Ryan now sort of sits on it for weeks at a time. It's mine for months. Yeah, just being best buddy. Yeah, have fun changing out that bedpan, best friend. I will. Um, <laughs> that's just one of the one it's of my little w- perks. It's a weird thing Greg makes you do. <laughs> he makes you poop in a bedpan and makes you let him clean. That's it, so Ryan. much worse. You would clean out my <laughs> bedpan before you would allow me to be like, so hey, much easier. you don't mind. Only okay. poop in this now. What the fuck? This is awful. Um, <laughs> Thelma and Louise. 
I have to say, when I first watched this movie, when I gave it watch number one, I said, this movie is of a different caliber than the films we've seen recently and is not good enough to be 91's movie of the year. After my second viewing, and especially after that hot episode, I don't know. Now I'm starting to think it definitely is 91's movie of the year. What do you gentlemen think? I mean, there's this something that, Greg, you talk about a lot about how the votes come down. You do, you're like the math guy, the analysis guy. That's me. And, like, if, you know, I'm Barton Fink and Mike is better or brighter summer day. Barton Fink! I'm fat, so I burp and fart. And Greg is Terminator 2. What if number two for all of us is Thumb and Louise and it just fucking rocks ass? a bit of a stretch, let's face it. (laughs) Okay, I understand that, (laughs) that, like, this is crazy, but I could definitely see it going places. It's so 91. And it's so good, like yeah. it, it, it might hit all those things. Which that those other things should be don't. like polar opposites. It's right? ninety one. Right. It's timeless. Uh, it like it's up our woke butts. Yeah, uh, it's all about like how uh, we should probably feel bad for being men. And you know what? Let me tell you, honey, we do. Bringing yeah, girls, kink. I pay for that. <laughs> bringing girls over to the Pop Filter Hall of Fame and like showing them the ninety ninety one plaque and it's saying Thelma and Louise, like, whew. and just gesturing to it a lot. Yeah, like, like uh, no, no. Uh, uh, for uh, the record, we see the plaque. You have, you can stop pointing at it. Just, like, just keep trying to take off their wedding rings. I learned this from that movie. <laughs> but we'll have to see because the final episodes of this season are coming up. They're right around the corner where we pick. 91's movie of the year. But until then, do me a favor, won't you? Keep watching them movies.